Once or twice a month, I shop at the Costco on Carmel Mountain, and I always run into parishioners, sometimes several parishioners there. Now, some of you who have been in San Diego a long time may remember before Costco was something called Price Clubs. Anyone, anyone remember that? Price Club started in 1976. Uh, later, they merged with Costco, but the first location for Price Club was Chula Vista, California, where I grew up, so I get to take some pride in that. And my parents had um, a convenience store, and so they were one of the first business members of Price Club. In fact, in the beginning, it was mostly business owners who would purchase things from them wholesale and resell them. So my parents very much liked, uh, liked the business model and the, and the service it provided them. And I think around 1985, they had $100,000 that they could invest, and they were considering two possible investments. One was Price Club, and they had been advised by people who had been working there the whole time that they should really buy some stock. And the second was a local bank which, with which they did their banking. Well, unfortunately for our family, they chose the bank, which return was not so great. I don't think even they, they made their money back. Whereas, if they had invested in Price Club, they would have made, I think, over $10 million, right? And imagine yourself in a situation like that, but you know for sure, right, what the good investment is. You, you discern the value of something, maybe when not everyone discerns that value. What would you do? I mean, you would gather every spare dollar you could get in order to get as much, much stock in that company as you could. And that's what wise investors do. Our first reading is a very uh, interesting encounter where God speaks to the young King Solomon. Remember, Solomon had inherited from David his father a vast kingdom, a big army, uh, wealth and territory. There's a lot of responsibility. And God goes to Solomon, much like in the stories of genies, you know, where, remember, you rub the lamp and the genie says, whatever you wish for, you get. So God says, whatever you ask, I'm going to give to you. And what does this young king ask for? He asked for understanding, for a wise heart to discern what is right. He is really asking to see things from God's perspective so he can make the best decisions for God's people. And that was a very good thing to ask for, so God gave him that for sure. And God was very pleased that that is what he asked for. Solomon was able to, at that time to perceive what was of most importance, what was of greatest value. In our gospel today, Jesus tells two parables. The first is about someone who finds a treasure buried in a field. We might imagine um, a farm worker who's plowing the land, and the, the uh, plow hits something, and he digs it up, and what does he find? A treasure chest with treasure. He doesn't steal the treasure. What he does is he puts it back where he found it, and then what does he do? He sells everything he has so he can get enough money to buy that field where that treasure is. The second parable is a merchant who is an expert in pearls, who loves to find you know, the most largest, most beautiful pearls. And he comes one day across a pearl of great price, and what does he do? He sells everything he has so that he can obtain that pearl. Some of the other parables of the last few weeks that we've been hearing from Jesus, you know, they talk about the kingdom of God is like a seed. And that indicates the inherent power and dynamism that is in the kingdom of God that Jesus sows, this inherent power and goodness and, and its growth and development. But today's parable indicates how uh, the kingdom of God is something very valuable for which we should sacrifice to obtain it, that we should exchange something, uh, even our, our, the entirety of our wealth, right, 
in exchange for this thing of surpassing value. And I think we see this aspect of the kingdom most clearly in those throughout the ages who have given up a lot to follow Jesus, particularly to follow Jesus as religious brothers and sisters or as priests or as missionaries. Certainly the apostles, and Jesus tells this parable, are thinking about their own situation. Right? Remember, Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee and finds these fishermen brothers, and when he calls them, what do they do? They leave their business, they leave their belongings, they leave their family, and they follow Jesus. And for three years, they travel with him and they learn from him as his disciples. And then after his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, what do they do? They travel around the world to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. But this also calls to mind uh, those who did not accept the invitation of Jesus. Remember that rich man who approaches him, who actually is keeping all of, all of the law, and yet when Jesus invites him to follow him on condition that he sell his property and give to the poor, the man turns away sad because he's attached to his worldly possessions. We have a young man in our parish who recently graduated college. He is intelligent, he's handsome and outgoing, of a man of virtue, people like him, his peers look up to him. He would have before him many options for success in career or in relationships. But rather he has chosen to enter priestly formation. So he is going to be studying to be a priest with the Norbertines in Orange County. And if you talk to him about it, it's something that he speaks about with great joy. It doesn't, he doesn't view it primarily in terms of what he's giving up, but rather primarily in term, terms of what he's getting in following God's call. We have a young woman from our parish who recently graduated from a top-notch university and who has spent the last year as a missionary something, with something called Christ in the City, uh, in which young people go and live together for a year and they minister to people who live on the streets. And even before this, she has been discerning how she can love God with everything she's got. And she was visiting the missionaries of charity uh, while she was still in college. You may, uh, maybe not, you don't know the name, but you know Mother Teresa? Well, th that's the order that she established. And so she had made a visit to them. She was spending time in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament in their chapel. And afterwards, she got to talk to a couple of the sisters. And she asked them this question, because she's trying to discern what she's supposed to do with her life. So she asked the sisters, you know, what, it, what are the joys and what are the challenges of your vocation? And um, the way they, they responded made a big impression on her. She actually wrote a blog post about it, and I want to share with you a portion of what she wrote. Sister thought for a while, then looked at me. In a gentle, matter-of-fact way, she said that she could only think of the joyful. When you're doing God's will, she said, nothing is too challenging because you're given the grace to do everything. I hadn't realized this was possible. Sister had experienced immense hardship, accompanying the rejected, the dying, and the suffering. But she was so close with Jesus as to know only joy, even in trial. Her life appeared externally as one of sacrifice and austerity, but she possessed the radiance, freedom, and distinct peace of knowing she was his. I immediately began to thirst for this same intimacy with God. My thirst, I discovered, would be answered most completely in his. This is a wonderful expression of someone who perceives the kingdom as this surpassing treasure. And that small Jesus tells us about the man who finds the buried treasure, right? Out of joy goes and sells all that he has to obtain it. 
Now, there are also other Catholics who are not called to, you know, completely, you know, serve God in a kind of full-time ministry and give up having a family or things like that, but who nonetheless um, are very generous in what they give up for and what they give for the kingdom of God. We had on Friday, a uh, reception to welcome new Cursiista. So Cursio is a movement in the church. It's been around for a while. Uh, and it's a movement of a very kind of committed discipleship, which is uh, founded on a retreat. It's a very powerful retreat experience that people go on at the beginning of their time as Cursistas. And so the, the people who had just finished the retreat were talking about their experience. And one of the guys, our parishioner, he said, he said, he said, the only thing I can compare this retreat to was, uh, was getting married and having children, my children being born. And I thought, that's a bit over the top, isn't it, for a retreat? But actually, I think he, he got it right, because he had a, a real encounter with Christ. And, and perhaps those are the only other human experiences that we can use to describe that true encounter with Christ. We have many people in our parish who are, again, generous, committed disciples who, who give up and give much for the kingdom of God, who commit to daily prayer, um, the rosary and time of conversation with God, to visit, come and visit Jesus here in the Blessed Sacrament during the week, to, to uh, do some kind of ascetical practice like fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, to be very involved in parish ministries and giving their time to serve the poor and the mission of the church. And how does someone become like this, a passionate, committed Catholic? Everyone's story is unique. For some, this is a, a way of life for them from the time they were children, which continues uninterrupted throughout adulthood. There are some people I know formed in wonderful Catholic families that for them, they have always had Christ at the center of their life. They've always been ready to give for his kingdom. That's, to me, though, not the most common thing I see now. Uh, more common are people who later in life as teens or as adults, have an experience of Christ, maybe in a retreat or a time of prayer or some other kind of um, you know, religious gathering in which they perceive really for the first time the value of the kingdom and then that, that changes them and it changes how they spend their time and, and how they spend their resources. There are um, some people who kind of um, initially begin maybe not so willing. Um, I've heard stories of many, many parishioners who you know, they were at church one Sunday, and they have kids who are supposed to go to CCD classes, and someone gets up and makes an announcement and says, you know, if we don't get anyone to volunteer for teaching, we're not going to have CCD classes. So they, you know, kind of reluctantly say, okay, I'll do it, you know. Uh, but then, as they have to, you know, prepare to teach the children, they themselves begin to really appreciate the treasure of the faith for the first time in their lives. And that leads, again, to a, a, a lifelong commitment of discipleship. I, I've known some of you who have shared similar stories with me. Uh, there's another type of person who uh, uh, has a crisis in life that helps them to, to, uh, to really to seek the kingdom. I had a conversation recently with a young man who, whose family stopped practicing the faith when he was in middle school, and he became basically an atheist. Religion was not part of his life at all. Until not long ago, he was, um, the girl he was dating, his, her father died suddenly. And that sudden death made him ask questions about the meaning of life and the fragility of life. And those questions uh, led him to, to find really good answers in the Catholic Church. And so now he is reorienting, reorienting his life with Christ at the center. Now sadly, 
all those, those things I've just described to you, the pe people who have become passionate, committed Catholics, that is not characteristic of the majority of those who identify as Catholics. We know that from all kinds of surveys and statistics. Perhaps you've heard of something which is talked about in business and economics called the Pareto Principle. And that is that uh, for an event, usually for many events, 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. Well, in the Catholic Church, some research was done by a group called Dynamic Catholic many years ago, and they found that basically it's 6 or 7% of parishioners that supply 80% of the donations and 80% of the volunteer hours in the church. And perhaps you have been someone who, you come to Mass on Sundays, but there's not much more that you're doing in terms of giving of your time and your talent and your treasure. I just want you, I want to ask you to do one thing. Ask God to help you appreciate the value of the kingdom. To help you get a glimpse of its beauty, its goodness, its worth. And then, what you give, you don't give grudgingly, but rather, as Jesus says in the parable, out of joy you give. Every day, we make a number of decisions where whether explicitly or implicitly, we are evaluating something. I want to buy a product. Is it worth my money? Are there better products worth my money? I'm going to spend my time. Is this worth spending my time? Are there better ways of spending my time? We, we, we do this constantly every day. We make these evaluations. Well, tell me this. What is the value or worth of perfect and eternal love, of a clean conscience and upright character, of freedom from the slavery of sin and healing from the infection of evil? Lord Jesus, give us wise and understanding hearts to recognize your kingdom as that hidden treasure, as that pearl of great price, and to joyfully exchange whatever we need to obtain it.